If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 6. Hey, did I mention um, during the announcements what the congregational vote was last week? Did I forget that? Did I mention that? Okay, I didn't. I'm sorry. Okay, Matthew 6. We're going to be in Matthew 6. You're supposed to say, wait a minute. You still didn't do it. Hey, great news. Thank you very much. In our congregational meeting last week, we uh, voted of, uh, about phase one, 92% pass. And so uh, we're moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. I forgot that news. Um, but thank you for uh, just seeking God's face in that. So uh, Yahoo. Good try clapping, Bill. It, it worked. I heard you, man. I mean, it was, it was good. I saw you. Apparently the 8% were like, no, we're not clapping. But anyway. Um, hey, as you turn your Bibles to Matthew 6, Today we're going to land in Matthew 6:33 and make a note or, or somehow dog ear this place in the Bible or throw something in there as a bookmark because Matthew 6 is going to be a portal in which we will find ourselves going through repeatedly uh, as we look at this kingdom series. This is the third week in this kingdom of God series. And Matthew 6:33 is one of those verses that we'll repeatedly come back to over and over and over again because there's so much there that we need to understand about the kingdom of God. And so also, as we uh, uh, hear God's word preached today, there will be things in Matthew 6, that aren't really uh, dealt with. Hang on, be of good cheer. I promise you, over the next several weeks, we'll find ourselves back here uh, numerous times because it really is an incredible passage, an incredible challenge for us. But as we begin, I gotta tell you, we've been bamboozled. We have. We've been bamboozled, and I'm pretty ticked about it. Does anybody here like to be bamboozled? I hate being bamboozled, but it's a word I love to say, bamboozled. Can you say it with me? Bamboozled. Bamboozled. Well, how have we been bamboozled? And we have. From the beginning, from the start of our lives, we have been born and raised in a great country, a country that I love and I'm so thankful for, but... We have been born and raised in a country whose founding document, the Declaration of Independence, has ingrained in our our hearts and our heads and our lives that life, liberty, and happiness can be found in the kingdoms of this world. It was way back in uh, 1776 that our founding fathers would put their John Hancock on this document that would say these words in the preamble to start off with. They say this, We hold these truths to be self-evident. I mean, they're so clear truths that you don't need anybody else to teach you about it. I mean, they're just self-evident that all men are created equal. Bamboozled. I I really want to laugh because here they are. They're going to write their names on this. Say, yeah, we believe clearly without doubt. And it's, it's true that all men are created equal. I mean, we have different gifts. But just last week, I mean, what happened last week? I mean, were you here? Remember we talked about Martin Luther King Jr. who had a dream that really it was self-evident that all men were created equal. And yet some 200 years after the writing and the signing of the Declaration of Independence, he gives up his life to realize that maybe it's just not as self-evident as we would think. But it goes on to say this. Not only is it self-evident that we were all created equal, but that they, that we, are endowed by their creator, that God has gifted us with certain inalienable rights. 
that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. First question. How many of you this last week, last month, well, this last year, have used the word inalienable? I haven't either. It's not a word that we use frequently in our vocabulary. So I went to Webster and uh, turned to Webster, and this is the this is the definition there. The, the definition, easy for me to say, that I was given of inalienable, incapable of being alienated. Doesn't it just get you fired up when you look up a word and they're going to use that word in the definition? I mean, hello. I don't know it, so I'm looking it up, and now they're going to use it. I thought these guys at Webster were bright. But anyway, incapable of being alienated, but it goes on to say, uh, surrendered or transferred. According to the founding documents of our great country, it basically says this, that we have something given to us that is self-evident and that we cannot lose, and it is this, that we have the right, the privilege to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And thus, when they did sign their names to this incredible document, what began was the American dream. And millions because of that document, would pursue hard the kingdom of this world, this incredible nation, in hopes of finding life, in hopes of finding liberty, and in hopes of finding happiness. But according to a much greater document than the Declaration of Independence, God's Word tells us that we are unable on our own, that there is not a kingdom in this world that will be able to produce for us. Listen, there's not a worldly kingdom that we can pursue that will give us life, that we can find liberty, that we can find our true happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is only found in the pursuit of God's kingdom. And therefore, he knows it. Scripture tells us this. And God graciously tells us is this is where we got to find our life, liberty, and happiness. Turn with me to Matthew 6. We're going to look at God's holy and errant word. We're going to look at Matthew 6, verse 33. But before we begin, let me tell you that the Scripture is going to tell us here that what we need to pursue, what we need to seek first. And I think it's very interesting that God doesn't have to tell us to pursue. God doesn't have to tell us to seek. Because we're made in his image, we really will naturally pursue and seek something. Listen, everyone here, no matter who you are, what your religious experience has been, where you are socioeconomically, every single one of us is going to pursue that which we believe will give us life. That which we believe will give us liberty. And that which we believe will give us happiness. Every single one of us is going to spend our life seeking those things. And God so graciously is going to tell us the only thing that we can pursue that can secure those. Oftentimes we hear about what God tells us to do. We think maybe he's a cosmic killjoy, keeping us from life, liberty, and happiness. God loves us enough to tell us, listen, what you really need is what I've created you for, and you can't find it anywhere else. So listen to God's holy and errant word in Matthew 6, 33. This is... In the midst of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says these words. But seek first the kingdom of God 
And his righteousness, and that word equally could be translated justice, and we're going to come back to that in weeks to follow. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. What were all of these things? Well, at the time, uh, as Jesus was teaching, there were those who were concerned about what they will eat. They were concerned about what they will wear. Now, some of you got up this morning and you had a concern about what to wear. But I guarantee you, none of you had a concern that you had nothing to wear. This is where they are. None of you, you may have had a concern of what to eat. Do I eat healthy or do I have the donut? But we are so hungry where we don't know where food is. And here's what Jesus says. Listen, even though things like food and raiment, clothes, those should fall behind when you seek first the kingdom of God. All those things are add-ons. Seek me in my righteousness. Let's pray. No, Father God, because you love us and because you've made us, you've made us in a way, Father, that as image bearers, we are truly going to seek. We're going to seek after life. We're going to seek after happiness. And we're going to seek after liberty. But Father, we will be desperately lost unless you come and change our hearts and God, give us the ability to seek the kingdom of God. Now, Father God, I I start by acknowledging that I do not have the ability or the gifts to do justice to this verse. When we talk about seeking first the kingdom of God, Father, this is so important. This is so germane to everything that we do that you have to, please, I implore you that you have to come and speak through a broken sinner. The Father, that in a miraculous way, through the preaching of the word, that we can hear you and your voice. So, Father, would you do that which only you could do, and would you open up our ears to hear from our King? And, Father, would you shine your light, the light of Jesus, and the light of your living word into our minds, and so we'll be able to understand this kingdom. It's a word we've heard over and over and over and over again, but, God, we really have to understand it because it will change our lives. God, I pray that you would crush our hearts and soften our hearts, all that is cold and callous and that's, that's sinful, God, that you would graciously crush and so that our hearts will be like flesh and we can embrace this truth. And God, for your glory and for the renown of your Son, would you come and would you shine your light on our feet? And so, God, we won't just praise you and talk about your kingdom with our mouth and walk out and deny it. But we truly, may we walk in a manner worthy of your kingdom. Father, we ask that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in th- th- week three of this Kingdom of God series. And uh, as you have hopefully begun to see, that really this is an incredibly important concept for Scripture. As a matter of fact, after the early service, uh, one of my friends came up to me and says, wow, this kingdom of God is so important. I'm starting to understand it that really it helps me see the rest of Scripture. It helps me understand who I am and what my calling is. This is not just an add-on into our Christendom. This really is extremely important for us to understand. So much so that as we looked at Luke 4, 43, when Jesus began his public ministry, By preaching his very first sermon in his hometown, he preached this, and it's told uh, us in Luke 4.43, that he says, I have come, 
I have come to preach the good news. This is very good news about the kingdom of God. And that I must go to other towns and cities and preach the kingdom of God. Well, how good was his first sermon? Um, those in his hometown picked up rocks to kill him. Um, thought, you got to be kidding me. Uh, you're basically calling yourself God. You say you're ushering in a new kingdom. We're going to kill this guy. But it wasn't just because of the threats. Because Jesus, listen, Jesus was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. It's very important that we understand what this is. More than that, we see Paul's ministry at the end of book uh, of Acts, Acts 28. Paul says, I must preach the kingdom of God. This is so important that when Jesus was teaching his disciples, his family to pray, he says, pray this way. He says, pray when you have a new relationship with me that our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, thy kingdom come. That our very prayers, the heart of who we are, the heart of what we long for, should be the kingdom. And now we get into this uh, uh, Lord's, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and you have Jesus say, the first and foremost thing that you should pursue, the first and foremost thing that you should seek is not your marriage, it's not the health of your children, it's not your bank account, it's not your family, it's not your community, it's not any of those good things. It shouldn't even be your food on your plate or the clothes on your back. The first thing you need to seek is the kingdom of God. Wow. Now there is a primary focus on God's word. We have to ask ourselves the question, what is the kingdom of God? We looked at in the last several weeks that it's hard for us to understand a kingdom. We don't have a king. We, we really, we give away power very limitedly. Uh, if we don't like those who we gave power to, we, we don't vote for them or we impeach them. So what is this kingdom of God? I gave you a definition. I think last week it's this. It's the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. It's the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. It makes us ask the question, what is the rule and reign of God in heaven like right now? Well, there's perfect peace. There's perfect submission. You have God uh, being worshipped by the heavenly host and those who have been promoted to glory. And you, you have uh, his reign and rule without any conflicts. And what is, what is being asked here is that the kingdom of God would come here on earth as it is in heaven. That we would worship him like he's being worshipped in heaven. That we would follow him like he's being followed in heaven. That we would say, crown him with many crowns as they are saying even right now in heaven. Well, how do we do this? Well, first and foremost, we must seek the kingdom of God. Because God, and you'll see in your notes, I'm starting to fill in the blanks here, God has created us to pursue his kingdom. And the incredible story about this, the incredible story of God's word that should just kind of send some chills up your spine, is that this kingdom of God is not something that started when Jesus walked on the earth. Yes, he did declare that the kingdom of God is here. Uh, he, did, he did usher in um, the inauguration of the kingdom and new, uh, new uh, ways of seeing it. But God has created us from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis, that we have been created to advance Christ's kingdom. So turn with me. Let's go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 29. Unbelievably, I'm sorry, I'm going to skip up to verse... 26. And I want you to see that uh, uh, God has created us from the very, very, very beginning to advance Christ's kingdom. As God was creating all things out of nothing, he says in verse 26, then God said, let us 
make man in our own image after our own likeness. Oh my, so incredible of all the things that God created. He gives us this incredible gift of being his reflection, being his image bearer here on earth, wired to know and to love and to serve him. Um, And let them have dominion. Let them rule. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, both male and female, reflect his image. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Unbelievably, when we read this Genesis account of how God has created us, we see that very, from the very beginning, God has created us to advance his kingdom. From the very beginning, God has given us great authority as his representatives, as his image bearers, to rule and reign over all the earth. From the very beginning, we see that God has created us to be under authority, under his authority, and advance his kingdom. From the very beginning, we see that God has created the heavens and the earth, and he's created us to pursue his kingdom. When Katie and I bought our first house, a house we'll always love in the Domerick area of Maitland when we first moved down here, um, we had a guest house, I'm sorry, a guest room. And the reason we had a guest room is we didn't have all the kids filling them up. And it was kind of nice having a guest room, you know. And so I thought, what am I going to do with this guest room? It was kind of my little place to go. And, and uh, when there wasn't a guest there, kind of feel like it's home. So I decided that I would hang up some shelves to display my trophies. Now, I thought maybe adding on an extra wing of the house that might do it. Uh, but sadly, a couple of shelves were sufficient. And if you know me, you know I have a hard time hanging up a shirt. much less hanging up shelves, but really uh, through some divine intervention, I got some shelves hung up and I uh, was able to display uh, the trophies and and there they were and eventually we filled our house with much more important things, uh, children, and as that room transferred into a guest room, into Allie's room, uh, rightfully so, the trophies were boxed up, uh, they were put away, um, and they were never to be seen again. I'm still asking Katie about them, but... Here's what God did. It's amazing. It's beautiful. God created the heavens and earth as a trophy case. He created the heavens and earth as a trophy case to display his glory. And guess who are the prized trophies? We are. Of all the things he's created, he's created the heavens and the earth to display his glory, his renown, his beauty, and who he is. And he has created us in his image as his prize trophies. God has created this to showcase his glory, and he wants to tell his story. You ready for this? God wants to tell his story of who he is, of his glory through our lives. We are the crown jewel of creation. We have been created in his image to bring him glory from the very beginning and advance his kingdom. We have been created to rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. We have been created to multiply and subdue this earth. We have been created to reign and rule as his image bearers, to go wherever there is chaos, wherever there is brokenness, wherever shalom or lack of peace is not present. God has called us as his trophies. 
Think about this. this is, I promise you, this might be one of those aha moments. Do you think that God could have created the earth and filled the earth with his glory from the beginning? I mean, the story goes that he created heavens and earth out of nothing. All is his trophy case. But he only made one place inhabitable for man and for God, called Eden. And he said, I want you to go and bring Eden, bring beauty out of chaos, bring life to where there's death, bring meaning to what is void over all the earth. Think about this, seriously. Could God not have created the whole earth and filled it with his glory immediately and not used us? Does God need us? Does he need us for anything? But unbelievably, from the beginning, we were the A plan. From the beginning, God chose to use us to advance his kingdom. To say, I'm going to make paradise a place that's inhabitable for God and man. And I'm going to choose you. You're my trophies. And now go and subdue the earth and go and, and, and live a life pleasing to me. Go and advance my kingdom. I'm going to choose to use you to do it. And he still does. You see, from the beginning, God chose us to advance his, his kingdom. In the beginning, he gave us because he loves us. In the beginning, he gave us life. In the beginning, he gave us liberty. In the beginning, he gave us happiness. You see, life was given to Adam. Liberty was given to Adam. Uh, happiness was given to Adam in the, in the garden. And God, through the covenant of works, he's such a gracious God, says, I'm going to give you this life, Adam, and I'm going to continue to give life, and I'm going to secure life for you. You will have life, life abundantly. You will have liberty. You will have happiness. All you have to do is obey me. And if you obey me, if you obey, listen, and obeying God wasn't a drudgery. He had paradise. He had all the fruits of the garden. He reigned and ruled over all creation. God gave him so much. And he found life and liberty and happiness in obeying him. But Adam, if you disobey me, death. Death is the consequence. You're going to lose that life. You're going to lose that liberty. You're going to lose that happiness. And Adam lost it. He blew it. I mean, he turned away from life. He turned away from liberty. He turned away from happiness. He rebelled against the kingdom of God and entered into the kingdom of darkness. He was banished from the garden. They threw him out. And don't come back. And now he entered into the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the world. And we, because of natural generation, we follow in his footsteps. His sin has been imputed to us. And now we are born in the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of this world. But in the beginning, it wasn't intended that to be. You see, sin, next point, sin has caused us to pursue our own kingdom. Genesis 6, 5, right before the flood, Jesus says, or God says to us uh, through his word that man's heart was, every inclination of our heart was evil. I mean, this sin thing, I mean, really did drive us away from God. It did rob our life. It did take away our liberty. Now we're slaves to the sin. We can't get away from it. Our every inclination is evil. Isaiah 53, 6 would say it this way. We all of us, all of us, a whole lot of us naturally, we're all like sheep who, who've gone astray. We all want to go our own way and try to find life, liberty, and happiness apart from God in our own kingdom. You see, after the fall, it looked like God took his trophies down and boxed them up, never to be seen again. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus enters center stage. And he takes us out of the mothball boxes to shine again for the Father. You see, since that fall, these kingdoms are in conflict and, and we have to be recreated for us to get it. 
We don't get it on our own. And that's what Jesus had to do. I mean, Jesus had to come and, and do that which we couldn't do. Jesus had to recreate us, recreate us in the image that God has intended us to be so that we can have life, so that we can have liberty, so that we can have happiness. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 5. And again, it's another one of those passages where we'll find ourselves in quite a bit in this study. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. I really wish someone would have put a tab in there for me. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, now what does this mean? Anyone is in Christ doesn't mean that we're naturally born in Christ. Uh, It doesn't mean that we've been baptized. It doesn't mean that we have some religious affiliation. In Christ means this, that we have acknowledged that we're sinners, that we have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that because we have believed in our heart that he is Lord and we've confessed with our mouth that Jesus has been raised from the dead, we are saved. We are in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What does this new creation mean? It means that we have now been made new, made new to which God originally made us to be like in the garden without sin, advancing Christ's kingdom. He's renewed us. He's made us a new creation. The old has passed away. This old sinful nature has passed away. Although we haul it around, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus came and says, listen, I'm going to reconcile you to the Holy Father. We're going to talk about how he does that in just a second. But not only am I going to reconcile you to a Holy Father so that you and I can say our Father in heaven and not be struck dead. But I'm going to give you the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to make you again like I first made Adam, and that is my ambassador to advance my kingdom. I'm going to give you this ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors of Christ. That's what we are. God makes his appeal. Unbelievably, God makes his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How do you do this? For our sake, he made Jesus, him who, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that him we might become the righteousness of God. Adam had it all. Adam was given life. He was given liberty and happiness in the beginning, but he lost it. But Jesus came. And he came to secure for us. Listen, he came to secure for us what we can never lose in him. Life, liberty, and happiness. Jesus found what Adam lost. And theologians will tell us he did it through his passive and active obedience. Let me tell you what that means. First of all, his active obedience. Remember, Adam was given life, and he was promised life. Adam, if you do the right thing, if you obey, life will be yours. But he lost it. But obedience is not something that God just said, oh, forget about it. It doesn't matter anymore. We're going to forget about obedience. Obedience still has to be met. Because God is perfect. His eyes are so holy, he can't gaze on sin. Jesus' active obedience is that he did everything that Adam failed to do. He fulfilled the law perfectly without missing one jot or tittle. This is why it is so important for us 
that he was born of a virgin. This is why it is so important for us that he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. This is why it's so important for us that he is the spotless lamb of God, so that his righteousness can become our righteousness, so that life can be secured through his obedience. That's his active obedience. There's his passive obedience, which was far from passive. His passive obedience was done on the cross. It was him absorbing the wrath of the Father for our sin. It was him becoming the curse that our sin deserves. It is him that was cut off and passively said, God, pour upon me the wrath our sin deserves. Make me sin. And passively on the cross was obedient so that we can now be clothed in Christ's righteousness. So that we can now be ambassadors So the eggplant's back on. They're mine. They're cleansed. And they've been called to advance Christ's kingdom. This is what Jesus has done. He gained for us everything that Adam lost. And now, my brothers and sisters, in Christ, we are the A plan. In Christ, you ready for this? We are the Father's trophies. In Christ, we're out of the box. We're out of the mothballs. And we've been given this kingdom, the kingdom to advance How do we seek first his kingdom? Seeking first his kingdom is seeking that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seeking first his kingdom is seeking that his will be done. Living for him obediently on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom comes by his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is not being too earthly or heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. You know, for years, I used to read this verse and say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what I thought it meant? That I really shouldn't think a whole lot about earth. That really my thoughts and my attention should be about heaven, and it should be about getting up there and and singing and, and worshiping, and no more tears, and those are all good things to think about. But really what I thought was this, was listen, Seek ye first the kingdom of God meant avoid the world like the plague. And if that's what it means, the Amish have it right. If that's what it means, they have it right. Because what they should be doing is being so heavenly minded that they're no earthly, not that they're not earthly good, but that we might become no earthly good. That was never God's design. Listen, God did not save us so that all we have is our heads in the clouds. He wants us right here to be his trophies. Do you think that God wants us to be his trophies only seen in heaven? No, he created the heavens and the earth to display his glory. And he wants his glory to be seen here. My brothers and sisters, you are his trophy today. And he wants you to live for him today and advance his kingdom today. And it's not just about someday when our heart stops beating, we got the life insurance to get to heaven. Although that's great, today advance his kingdom. Listen to me. Listen to what God says in Romans 5, verse 10. In Romans 5, verse 10, it's one of those verses that you probably have, oh my, Where have I been all my life? How did I miss this one? I mean, it's it's, it's incredible. It's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of what's happening in heaven right now. I'm going to start in verse 9. Revelation, did I say Romans? Sorry, Revelation. Revelation 5. You know, (laughs) forget it. Uh, Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is the scroll of the book of life. 
For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people, you've ransomed people for God from every tribe, tongue, and language, and people and nation. This is basically saying, Jesus, you're it, you're worthy. You've ransomed them all. You, you, you said you come to seek and to save the lost. You didn't miss any. And look at verse 10. And you made them, this is us, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on where? earth. You see, heaven and earth will be made new and his rule and reign will be perfect on heaven and on earth. But God has called us today to advance Christ's kingdom. He's called us today as a kingdom of priests to rule on earth. Listen, he's called us today to be his trophies. And what we need to do is bring a heavenly mindset to earthly needs. What we need to do is not to say, okay, our goal is heaven. Let's get up there. We've got to bring a heavenly mindset. God has given us a picture of his glory. And he's given us a picture of what it's like. And now he's saying, take this heavenly mindset and bring it to earthly needs. Richard Pratt says it this way, and I think it's very, very well said. Heaven is our standard. Earth is our destiny. Heaven is our standard. Earth is our destiny. You see, here's what Jesus is doing through this entire Sermon on the Mount in which we find ourselves in Matthew 6, 33. He's telling them how to live. He's giving them a heavenly pattern to bring to earth. He said, this is how it should be because I've redeemed you. You're the A plan. You're my trophies. This is how you're supposed to live. This is how it's supposed to be. So let's look back in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verses uh, 13 through 16. He says, because of who we are in Christ, that we now are the salt of the earth, He'll say in verse 14, we are now the light of the world. He will say now that we are a city on a hill. Is heaven a place on earth? Well, for a long time, they would say, well, the temple was a unique place where God put his name and his glory would show up. And then when the the temple was destroyed and Christ came and made us new creatures, guess who now is called the temple? We are. We are now the temple, the place where heaven and earth meet through us in our ministry. And God says, listen, bring this heavenly mindset to earth. And you do it by being the salt of the earth. And by being the salt of the earth, he's saying, by keeping our world from decay. I call us the DRM. Your DRM. Decay retardant material. Get out of the salt shaker. Here's the deal. Jesus says, I'm going to make you salt. And salt preserves. It keeps it from decay. And this world's decaying. Is it not decaying? And this world is, I mean, listen, you can run. You can say, I don't want anything to do with it. I want to touch it. Do I want to look at it? Do I want to smell it? Do I, want to, I just want to get away from it? But he says, no, no, I've made you salt. And if all you do is sit in a salt shaker and you be salt to one another, that's not it. I'm pouring you out. you got a kingdom advance. And you're there to stop decay. We're like the... All the dentists in here are going through my mind. We're like fluoride, you know? I mean, we really, we, we are to society. We're to fight decay and, and to make beautiful and white that which is gray. Not only that, as he, he says that we are the light of the world. The light of the world. Why are we the light of the world? To dispel darkness. Is the world dark? He's called us to himself. And now says, you are the light of the world. And therefore, you and I, guess what? We have to go to some dark places. 
because he wants us to go as his representative, advancing his kingdom and bringing his light wherever we go. Here's what it means. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up and some bad stuff's happening at work, you're the light of the world. You're there as light. You're there as salt. You're there for a reason. You're there to show a heavenly pattern. You're there to live a little bit differently. The way you raise your kids, the way you live in your neighborhood. Listen, this is extremely practical for everything you do. You're the light of the world. As God wants us to shine our lights on one another, man, this is awesome. You're beautiful. Yeah, this is awesome. Let's just stay here. Let's be a nice holy huddle. Let's just shine right here. Wrong. He says, I want you guys to come and hold hands and love on one another and worship, but then go. Because you are the A plan. You are my trophies. You are the light. And I'm sending you into the darkness. We're a city on a hill. What does that mean? Does that mean that we got to be so high and lofty that we sit above everybody else? We just look down on them with a sneer of judgment and say, sinner, 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 sinner. No. We're a city on a hill that shows the pattern of living. God wants to, unbelievably, God wants to use us to show the world how to live. And how wrong are we when we follow after the world? How wrong are we when we say, well, we can find life, liberty, and happiness in them? God is saying, no, 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 you know the truth, and it's set you free. Life, liberty, and happiness is found in me. Be a city on a hill and shine so people can see a pattern of heaven and shine so that they would be drawn to it. Are we supposed to be so high and lofty that no one can get to us? No, we should be figuring out ways to shine the light to pull them up and say, you too have been created for this kingdom. You too have been created to shine. God has called us to be a city on a hill from keep this world from being irrelevant. To really show them what it means to live. Seek first his kingdom is seeking all these things for others and not ourselves. Listen, my brothers and sisters, seek first his kingdom is seeking all these things for others, not ourselves. And it just hit me. It was one of those, one of those times in my study this week where I just started to weep. When I just realized, I said, yeah, I live so entitled. I mean, I just feel like, God, if I, if I, if I live for your kingdom, won't you bless me? And won't all these things be added unto me? And I'm going to get and get all this great stuff. Then I started to realize that all these things were food for those who can't eat and clothes for those who are naked. And I began to weep, saying, God, I see it. I mean, advancing your kingdom, being your trophy, being your A-plan means that I care. And it means that I'm going to act. Because the kingdom of God is not a place where people should be hungry. The, people, the kingdom of God is not a place where people should be naked. The kingdom of God is not a place for injustice. It's not a place for unrighteousness. And he's called us to do something about it. That's the kingdom. We're the A plan. We're the trophies. So we got to go where there's hunger. We got to go where there's brokenness. We got to go where there's not life. And say, God, here I am. Use me. Is D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, an uh, incredible American evangelist, a very uneducated man who God used in the 19th century in an amazing way. And, and people couldn't figure out why God was using him so much because he, he didn't speak real well. and, he, and he, he didn't, There's nothing about him that necessarily think, wow, this is it. This is a quintessential preacher. But his ministry was just flourishing. And so some chaps from England came over, some British ministers. They want to figure out, what is going on? Why is God blessing this ministry? And they're meeting in a hotel, and he says, guys, I want you to come out over here by the window. Come out, just tell me what you see out the window. And they looked out the window. They said, well, we, we see a park. And 
we see some people in the park and they turn to him and he's weeping. I see sinners who are going to be eternally lost until they find a savior. See, he got it. He got the kingdom call. He got the understanding that it was seeking first the kingdom of God. He understood what the A plan was. Matthew Emmons must have an incredible trophy case, including a gold medal in the 2004 Summer Olympics. But it should have had two gold medals. I mean, every Olympics come, and there's a few events that we just can't wait to see, a few marquee events that are right in prime time that we all say, okay, this is what makes the Olympics. And Matthew Emmons was in none of those events. He was in shooting events. I don't even know why they're in the Olympics, personally. I thought those were the things you do, and your mom says you don't do that because you'll shoot your eye out. But he already had won one gold with a borrowed gun, and I think that's pretty cool. You know, anybody's like, hey, can I borrow your gun? Gold medal, you know. And that's, that's pretty cool stuff, and I wouldn't want to be this guy's enemy. But he had a huge lead in the very much anticipated 50-meter three-position rifle event. I don't know what that event is, but... I'm sure for him it was much and his family much anticipated. And he was at his ninth and final shot. And he had, he had such a big lead that all he had to do was hit the target. I mean, all he had to do was hit the target, gold medal. And, you know, I bet he could have, like, fired off a hip shot and hit it and won. And part of me wish he did. It wouldn't be cool. Can you see this guy in, like, an American USA garb wearing a big old cowboy hat? And just, boom, you know, gold medal. <laughs> but instead... He decides to, you know, really take aim and, 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 and zero in. And, and you know what? He pulled the trigger, and it was a dead center bullseye right in the center. I mean, unbelievable. You could, could have done that, but instead, right to the bullseye. One problem. Slight, small error. He shot at the wrong target. No points. No medal. Eighth place, not first place. You see, if we're shooting at the wrong target in life, it doesn't matter if we hit the bullseye or not. We still miss. Still no points. Still no trophy. And God graciously said, listen, the kingdom of God is the target. It's my glory. It's what I've made you for. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things, they're going to be added unto you. How is it with you? You'll see in your insert that I've listed some questions for you and say, you know, what will it take for you to seek first the kingdom in your family, in your life? What will it take for you to really seek first the kingdom with your job, with your community? And let me encourage you, take it. And ask the question, am I aiming at the right target? Are you aiming at the right target? You see, life, my brothers and sisters, in liberty and the pursuit of happiness is only found in the pursuit of the kingdom of God, not in the American dream. As the worship team comes forward, we're going to close by reciting the Lord, singing the Lord's Prayer. But more than that, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. But let me challenge you as we close. Is there anybody here who can call God Father because of the work of the Son? Is there anybody here who can call their neighbor brother 
because of the work of the Son? Is there anybody here who realizes that the primary calling in your life is the kingdom? If so, let's recite the Lord's Prayer. But, let's don't say, my Father, blah, 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 blah. okay? If that's where you are, I want to hear it. Let's pray. Now, Father God, I thank you that you have created us as your trophies. You've created us as your A-plan. And Father, what Adam lost, he lost for us. We would have done the same thing. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was gone. But Jesus came. And he won back and he earned back everything that Adam lost, and even better. And Father, now we are your trophies. We are your A-plan. We are your ambassadors. We have the privilege of being the salt of the earth. We have the privilege of being the light of the world. We have the privilege of being a city on a hill. Only through the work of your Son and the power of your Spirit for your glory. So Father, as we stand, please stand with me. Would you please be pleased as we recite together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.